And Miss Pam there, that guitar at the end, I just got to tell you, stand here for just a second. Because Miss Pam, I remember a couple years ago, she's saying, oh, I'm, I couldn't ever get up there and play. <laughs> I couldn't ever do that. Do you see what God has done working with you? I gave it, you poor people. <laughs> no, that was wonderful. I, pray, I praise God for what he has done in your life and, and for the talent that he's given you for this. So praise God. It's the Holy Spirit. I know. That's same way with me. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not us. And it's all for his glory. He does that. And it's good to see each and every one of you out this day to worship our God. And to know what a day that that is going to be. And where's, where's Johnny at? Where's Johnny at? He's already up there? All right. So all the young'uns who want to go to class... It's going to be upstairs today, so go ahead and get on upstairs and, and uh, tell Johnny we said hi. Tell him he's going to miss something, because he's going to miss the Word of God down here, but he's going to teach the Word of God to them. Woo. Announcements. Wednesday night class at 6.30 will be on chapter 36 this week. We made it through the other chapter. Finally, three weeks. Thursday night, ladies journaling. Hopefully, weather forecast, Miss Lisa, shows good weather. I know, the last two weeks it's been canceled right on Thursday because of the weather. But it's going to work this time. Berean chapters, Miss Paula said, Whoo, that is a lot of Berean chapters. And I said, that's because we're going to cover a lot of the Word of God today. Are you ready? Do you have your Bible turning fingers on? Because some of these may be a little small. I hope you can see them because I already had 22 slides, I think, for them today. I told her I'm going to wear her out, so I didn't split them up anymore. So, but we're going to be all over the place, all of these because of Zechariah chapter 5. And I had a God wink last night from uh, one of the guys that I watch and listen to. Got a text from uh, Ken and Susie. It says, Mike's going to be on Pastor Paul in five minutes. And I uh, took me a little while to listen to all of it. But what I was flabbergasted was is he was tying everything that's going on today to Zechariah chapter 5. And I about fell out of my chair because we're on Zechariah chapter 5. And I just thought that's a God wink to all of us. Um, and I'm going I'm to tell you before we get started before we pray in that I'm going to teach first everything about the word of God we're going to make applications to that from the word of God the last things I'm going to show you are things that are interesting from all of that but it's not from the word of God it's from the things that I'm seeing in the world and we take it as knowledge and not as Thus saith the Lord, because I can't back that up with Scripture. Only time will tell if that's what it's pointing to or not. So I want you all to, to be aware of that as we get ready to begin. But we're in perilous times, aren't we? War has been declared over in Ukraine and Russia. They are now starting to talk about sanctioning Russia with the banking system. Hey, youngins, if you want to go to class, it's upstairs today. They just all went up there. So you go on up there and, and uh, 
bomb the party, okay? Let you know where they're at. And it's good to see everyone. Good, you guys came in. and uh, but, but we've got war declared. We've got Russia involved. And now the banking system's going to be involved. It's called SWIFT. I don't understand all of this digital currency thing and what's going on, but I do know that they're trying to place financial sanctions upon that. Um, this thing could turn even more uglier. Are you ready for the Lord to come? That's where I'm at. My job is to take in the word of God and breathe it out to you all and to prepare all of us, myself included, for the Lord's coming. So, Father, we humbly bow in worship and prayer to you. And, Father, at this time, we realize the things that are going on, but we understand this that you're still on the throne, that you reign, and that you control everything that happens. And all things, you watch over your word to perform it, it says in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, that I am watching over my word to perform it. There are still things that are going on that's according to your word to bring about that great and glorious day of the Lord. And so, Father... As we study your word, you put us here for such a time as this. You put us here on this earth physically for this time. We should be prepared and ready or else you wouldn't have had us here. But you also put us as the body of Christ together as brothers and sisters to worship you, to praise you, to honor you and exalt you and to come together to hear the word. And you put us in Zechariah for such a time as this and I stand amazed in your presence thank you father for loving us thank you for giving us your word to to know you to have fellowship with you and to understand your mind thank you for your son the Lord Jesus Christ the sacrifice to forgive us of our sins and fathers we have already entered into worship and praise and now we're going to fellowship and worship you and your word we pray that everything that we say, that we do, is honoring to you, is pleasing to you, and may we worship you in spirit and in truth this day, give you all honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Ooh, go ahead and turn to Zechariah chapter 5. We've been spending a couple weeks here, we're going to finish this chapter up, Lord willing, today. We're going to see the power of the word of God revealed to us. And as we go through this lesson, I already told you, the first part's all biblical. The last part is just some things that I thought was very cool that we ought to know and at least understand about and keep our eyes on them as this world goes on. So let's read one more time this chapter, chapter 5 of the book of Zechariah together and see if we can make some applications of our life and what's going on in the world around us with this astounding vision from the Word of God. Zechariah says, I turned and I raised my eyes, and I saw there a flying scroll. And the angel, the teaching angel, he said to me, What do you see? And I answered, I see this flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits. Its width is 10 cubits. And he said to me that this... This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. And every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll. And every perjurer or those who taketh my name in vain 
shall be expelled according to the other side of this scroll. In verse 4 he says, I'm going to send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. And it shall enter into the house of the thief, and into the house who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in the midst of this house and consume it, even with its timber and stones. And we've spent two weeks on that. Now we get to our new stuff we're going to cover today. Verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me came out and he said to me, Lift up your eyes now and tell me, what do you see? And he says, this is what is going forth across the land. And so I asked, I don't know, what is it? What is it? And he said, it's a basket. It's a basket that is going forth. And he also said, this is their resemblance throughout the whole earth. Here is a lead disc that is lifted up. And this is a woman sitting inside of the basket. And then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket. And he threw the lead cover over its mouth. And then I raised my eyes and I looked. Behold, there were two women coming. There were two women who had the wind beneath their wings as, as wings of a stork. And they were coming. And they lifted the basket up between the earth and the heaven. And so I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying that basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. And when it is ready, the basket will be set there upon its base. And I wrote after that, what in blue blazes is going on? <laughs> I mean, just to read that, you would have to just say, what in the world is going on in this vision that the angel was given to Zechariah? Well, let's try to go over it. Verse 3, it said that this, which is the word that ties everything together in this chapter, this is the curse that goes forth across the face of the whole earth. And then he said that that's in the basket, and it's the basket that's going to go across the face of the whole earth. The curse came into this world through sin in Genesis 3. And it's propagated through procreation through the male. Through every female that is born of man. There is this curse that goes out upon us because of that. And that curse is that we all end up sinning and falling short of the glory of God. And so Deuteronomy sums it up though. Through Christ we have forgiveness of those things. And it's not a curse to us. Deuteronomy 30, one of our chapters that we used to read, says, I have set this, this is what God told Moses, I have set before you this day. He had just reread all of the word of God to him before he's getting ready to pass on, Moses did. And he said, the Lord says, I have set before you this day life and good. And that's his word. But also, behold, death and evil. And that I command you this day to love the Lord thy God. And to walk in his ways, keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. That you might live and multiply, and the Lord thy God will bless thee in the land. So there is the blessing that comes from the word of God when we believe in him and we follow his word. But then he says, but. If you decide that you want to turn away from me and live for yourself and that you don't hear my words, I denounce to you this day that you will surely perish. And God says, I call heaven and the earth 
together this day to bear record of what I am telling you, that I have set before you in my word life and death, blessing and cursing. So we can either accept God and his word and walk in his way and love the Lord thy God just as Jesus said with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might and our very being and we have the blessing side of God. But when I reject the Lord Jesus Christ, I reject the word of God. I reject God's grace that he sent and I walk my way. Then he said that is cursing. And so the curse that is going out now in judgment upon the earth is we saw the standard of that scroll as the word of God. And it's going out to see who is of God and who is of not because we've learned that God marks all of those that are his in the last two weeks before judgment comes that the man with the ink horn set some marks on. We saw in Revelation that before the angels could do anything, God says, hold up and send the angel out to mark those who are mine and do not harm those that are mine. So this is getting ready, this cursing in a judgment upon the land at that time is getting ready to happen. But what this is is a pattern of history. This is the pattern of God's word on how it operates because it will also be in other countries and nations throughout and then it will also be in the last time in the end of days which is where we'll be going at the end of this this is the pattern so now verse five wow i'm looking up there and you can't see half of it boy it looks good on the computer screen though doesn't it it sure does i'm sorry about that i hope you got your bible to verse five because when the angel said lift up your eyes and what do you see zachariah said i don't know you see, he knew what it was when it was the two olive trees and the, 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 the candlesticks that was holding the lamps of God because he was a priest. He understood that vision and what was going on. He said, I see the seven uh, golden lamps. But this, he goes, I have no idea what you're bringing forth to me now. What are you bringing out? So he says, this is a basket, the, the angel said. It's the word ephah, which means it's a measurement. It's actually the, the standard of measure is a dry measure, and it's about 1.05 bushel. So it's, it's a standard measure of like grain or flour, and it's just over a bushel, and it's a bigger basket that would hold that bushel and, and not lose any of it. So this is a basket, and it's a pretty good-sized basket at that. And it says, and in this basket, it's a resemblance uh, of something. It says, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. The word for their resemblance is, is the word ein, which is the, our word for I. So when it says that this is the resemblance, what it is actually saying is, this is the eyes, and it's in the plural. So this is the eyes of God that is going across the land and it's the eyes that is seeing what is going on. That that way that is done with perfect knowledge of what is going on throughout the land. So it's the understanding. It's the same word that was first used in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis. When it says that, that Satan began to tell her uh, about the fruit that was on that tree. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says that when she saw that it was good and desirable that and he said god doesn't want you to happen because the day that you do your 
eyes, ein, will be opened and you will be like God to be able to understand all that is good and evil. So this word means an understanding that your eyes are, are open, alert, and understanding. So what is the resemblance of the whole earth is what God is seeing and saying this is applicable to the whole earth of what's going on. So that's when it talks about what the resemblance is that's going on throughout the whole earth. It's, it's the eye. I see what it is. And then it says this. The basket is going forth through the earth. I know what its resemblance is. It's been revealed to me because I've saw it. And then it says in verse 7, the angel reveals this to us, that on top of that basket is a lead disc, the lid to the basket. Well, right now, that basket is sealed because that lead disc is upon top of it. The lead disc, probably it's, it's also a word that comes into use with talent. So this thing's somewhere between 75 to 100 pounds. So it's, it's a lid that is sealing it to hold something inside of it and to keep it from getting out and to be revealed. And so I can see as we read that, it says that the angel had came forth and said, this is the basket and here's the resemblance of what it's going to see. And he said, here is a lead disc lifted up. So he's lifting this up and then he... I can just see it. That angel is trying to point out to Zechariah what he's saying. And here was this basket. And the angel lifts up that lid. And he says, the, I lifted that lead disc up. And I can see him grabbing inside. And he said, and this is the woman that is sitting in the basket. But this is wickedness. And he doesn't want the wickedness out yet. So he said, this is wickedness. And he, as the word of God says, he shoves it back down in and places that lid on tight real quick so that it can't get away you can just see what's going on in the word of god here he said look the disc lifts up what's inside is this woman and he shoved it down real quick and put it back on because he said verse 8 this is wickedness this the woman inside is wickedness and the eyes of god sees that the extreme wickedness is going out across the world and that's the resemblance of what he is seeing going on in there and he shoves it in and places the lid back on the basket. And uh, so as we try to take all of this apart, what does a lead disc mean? Why is that lead disc on top? Why, why wasn't it brass, copper? Why wasn't it mud? Why wasn't it wood? Why wasn't it woven? What's it going on? You see, the word of God is very particular on each word that it uses whenever it's giving us out something. And we've got to associate it with what the Bible means on it. So... You ready to see what lead means and why the lead disc was on there? I got to settle down for a minute. I got to get a breath. This is exciting stuff, folks. I worked on this so hard I was in trouble last night because I was so long on it, wasn't I? I? I was. I was in trouble because, I, man, trying to decipher this and work on it, but it was so exciting. You'll see at the end I started getting deeper and deeper in this rabbit hole thing. And, um, wow, this is... Jeremiah 6, lead, okay. Lead, it says, bellows are burned. The lead is consumed of the fire and the founder melteth away in vain because the wicked are not plucked away. It's reprobate silver shall man call them because the Lord hath rejected them. When you start to think of lead, one of the things that you want to think of is lead is an imitator. 
Lead wants to try to look like silver. It wants to look like, you know, silver and gold are something that is glorious in the word of God. It's something that, that you would desire to have, but who wants a lead nickel versus a silver coin? You see, lead is an imitator, and it says that whenever it is tried by fire, how God tries things by fire, that as it's tried by the fire, it melts away. But with silver, when you do that, the silver is exposed and the dross comes off. But it says there was nothing left of it because it was all evil and wicked. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. So it was an imitator is what Jeremiah said. So first off, it is evil and wickedness and it's representing that. And then what else do you think of with lead? Do I have any fishermen in, the, in here? Is there any fisherman that likes to fish? If we're going to go down to the river... And catch some catfish. How are you going to get your bait to the fish? Sinker. And what do they make sinkers out of? Lead. So if I want to get my bait down, I'm going to put a lead sinker on it, right? So does God when he wants something to go down. One of our chapters again is Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 15 and 14... We had the glory of God where the fire, and think about this, as all of this goes on, what did we see in chapter 2 of Zechariah? We saw the ring of fire that protects his people, right? Before we ever got started in all this, we saw that first chapter, God's watching over his people. No matter where we are, in the valley or on the mountain, he's watching over us. He was the rider on the horse. Chapter 2 he is my wall of fire. He is my great reward. He is my safety if I am inside of him. He's got a ring of fire and I'm in it and he's protecting me. Chapter 3, then we're going to worship God. That was Joshua the high priest and we've been, we've been sanctified. He rebuked the devil when the devil tried to say he was a sinner. And he said, no, because you're in Christ Jesus, you're not. And he said, I rebuke you, devil, put the clean clothes on him. And then we saw true worship restored in chapter 4. And uh, there was that, the two olive trees and the oil that was coming. And now here we are with the judgment. We've had all these things to know where we stand in relationship to this scroll that's going out across the world now. And so the same thing happened. That wall of fire went from that pillar of fire, went from the front of the people of Israel as they were escaping Egypt. And now Pharaoh was coming on them with his chariots. And it stood in between. And you'll remember that the Red Sea parted and they walked across on dry ground. And then the Lord's pillar kept them a little bit away, a little bit away until he said, Moses, stretch out your hand because they've come after you and they're all inside of the sea. And he said, stretch out your hand. And this is what it says in Exodus 15, 10. It says, the Lord, when Moses did that and he told him to hold your hands across the sea, you blew with your wind. This is a song of Miriam and Moses afterwards celebrating what God did. You blew with your wind and the sea covered them and they sank like what? Where do we get sinkers from? So when we see lead in the word of God, we're thinking, it's not silver, it's an imitator. And we're thinking of something evil and judgment coming upon that evil because God uses the term of lead to show how he sank them to the bottom. And in the end, when this all comes down in the very end, God's going to sink into the lake of fire 
the devil and his angels that came against him and the great judgment that's going to come as well. All of these are patterns that is in the word of God and everything is a pattern to show you what's going to happen, what did happen and what will happen. So now we know what lead means and what it represents. So we got this lead sinker right now. It's a big lid that's on top of that pot. And what's it doing? Right now it's restraining. He opened it up and showed you what's inside. And he put it back on to keep it there. So it's designed right now at this moment to keep what's inside in there. And to hold that wickedness back from being released. And I'm going to tell you guys something. We ain't seen evil and wickedness yet. You know, we think we have, but they've had so much more in other countries. They think they've seen evil and wickedness, and they have, but they ain't seen nothing yet. Because the real evil and wickedness that's going to come when the restrainer goes and removes the restraint, I don't want to be here during that seven years of that tribulation. I know that because... When the, when the restrainers come, and we'll see that in a minute, that restrains the evil and wickedness, it's not going to be good in the land. So right now it's being restrained. Look here at verse 8 again. It says, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back down into the basket, and he threw the lead cover over its mouth to seal her in. And then it says in verse 9, I raised my eyes and I looked, and there were two women they were coming with the wind beneath their wings. They had wings like a stork. And they lifted that basket up between heaven and earth. Just when we think we know what the basket is, the Lord throws this in on us. Now we've got to decipher what that is, right? We've got the basket now that evil's inside of it and it's, evil is personified with that woman and that there's a lead weight on it that's restraining but going to sink it one day when the appropriate time comes. But now we've got two more women. And they're coming like they're flying in on wings. Not like wings of an angel, but wings of a stork. Why? Because they're going to be carrying wickedness. Now storks are, are, are good birds in a physical sense, but they're unclean birds on the sense that they couldn't eat them. It was called an unclean food that they were not supposed to eat. But storks were also um, very very good they also resembled something that was good in the scripture so we got to tear this apart notice that it says that these two women had wings but they were not storks and their wings were not storks wings their wings were like that of a stork so what it is is it's it's a resemblance of storks so what does a stork's wing represent that was trying to to be an illustration of these two women well what it's trying to do is make it a comparison. You know, a stork was a very strong flyer. And storks fly very high up in the atmosphere. They're one of the highest flying of the birds. So that, that they get way up in there. They're noted for that. But they're also noted for their faithfulness to their mate, to their partner, and to their family. They take care of them unconditionally. But they're also faithful in that they know their appointed times. And that's the point that it's trying to make. If you look at Jeremiah 8, one of our other uh, scriptures that we had, God says he's going through chapter 6 and 7 and just telling them how they're going, that it, Israel's coming under judgment and Judah. Why? 
you know, the prophet said, Why, Lord, why did you tell me not to even pray for him? Because he's already told him all the wickedness. And then he said, Don't even pray because I won't hear. And he says, Why? And it said, the word of the God said, what do you mean, why? Do you not see what they do in the cities and in the streets? Their children are taught at the young age to go pick up sticks so that those sticks can bake cakes that the, that the women are making. And then the men take those cakes and they offer them up to strange gods. So you're training even your children not to know me, but to know the strange gods. You're raising them all up to do this. And it starts at the top and goes down to you're even training your kids. And God says, don't even pray for them because even my birds know the difference in that. Look at Jeremiah 8 and 7. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times. So does the turtle dove and the swift and the shallow ob swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. So he's saying that storks are a type of bird that knows their appointed time. They are strong. They fly to other places. But every year at the same time, they fly back to their same nest that they've had since they've been nesting. They fly back to the same nest to raise up a new life again with little baby birds. And so what God is trying to point out with the stork and it knows its appointed times and it always goes back to its nest to raise up anew, we're going to find out where does the Bible say in our text of Zechariah 5 that they're taking this basket too? Shinar. Shinar. You know what Shinar is or Shinar, however you want to pronounce it. You know, you know what Shinar is? Shinar is the origin of idolatry and it's the house of evil. It is where evil personified is. And so when it's talking about this basket, and that it is wickedness that is inside of it. And it's going to get ready to be carried into its proper place again. You see where we're at here. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead and give me that the next slide. You see in verse 11. He said, where are you ta taking the basket? And he said, to build a house, a place of residence for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready. What does the stork know? It's appointed time. When it is ready, when the time is right, at the appointed time, the basket that represents the resemblance of is evil and wickedness. When it is ready, it will be set up there on its base. And it will be exposed and it will come out in its time. It's for the future. Now, when it says um, at the appointed time, now the standard will fly with the eyes of understanding over the inhabitants. And the angel says it's going to go to Shinar, where that is where the ancient land was. Of, Do you know who first inhabited Shinar? And it comes into the Bible. Genesis 10, turn there with me. Let's go to Genesis chapter 10, because at the point of time, this thing's going back there, so that at the point of time it can be opened up. Why is it being faithful and wickedness going back to its proper time? Well, here it goes. And folks, here's where we start to get good. 
And here's where we start making the applications to the word of God. We're not at the stuff that's the cool things yet. But we're at the stuff that's making applications to what we just read in Zechariah 5. Why is Shinar important and why is this going back? Verse 6 begins to give us the sons of Ham. And Ham beget Cush. And in verse 7 and then verse 8. Cush beget who? Nimrod. Nimrod began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said like Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom. See he had a kingdom. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Which later will become Babylon. Eric, Akkad, and Kauna. And where are these cities located? In the land of what? Shinar. They're in the land of Shinar. So you see, this is reflecting back. You got to go back to where it began. This is where it began. The wickedness began is right here. Wickedness began in Genesis 3 with the fall and sin coming in. Extreme wickedness came in at Genesis 6. And then the flood had to come. Now it comes in again in Genesis 10. But we get a new kind of wickedness come in. This is the first of this kind. All idolatry, all occultism can be traced back to here. Because you see God tried to destroy all of that with the angels that sinned in Genesis chapter 6. And he started over with Noah and the seven people that was his with, with his wife. With Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his sons, and their wives. So eight people got on that ark. And the society was supposed to start over again. And it was supposed to start over again without this uh, knowledge of the occult. And without all of the wickedness. And it was supposed to be perfect when it came about. But Ham knew of all of this stuff. And it comes down. He, he ended up being cursed through his grandson Canaan. Because of some evil that they were doing. And then... Here, he, Cush, the son of Ham, beget Nimrod. So this is the grandson of Ham. And the beginning of his kingdom is Babel and the land of Shinar. And he went to Assyria and built Nineveh and the other ones. And then that became the, he was the mortal enemy of God. When it says that he began to be a mighty one on the earth, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. It means he was a predator. It means that he was the first dictator who ruled. And anyone who came under uh, against him because he was against God. When it says before the Lord, that's the word for face or in the face of. He faced up the Lord. He was the opposite. God is righteous and just. He is the opposite. He is the personification of wickedness and evil. And he was building his kingdom. Now you turn the page over to the next chapter in Genesis chapter 11. It begins to tell you that the whole earth was of what? One language, right? The entire earth was of one language. Remember that. It's going to be important. And they were of one speech. They all had saying the same thing. Why? Because we're going to find out in a minute that they were all of one mind because he had trained them to be that way. If you had a mind different than his, he destroyed you and killed you. So they all had one mind. And they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Now, verse 3. 
Come, he said. Come, let us make bricks. Bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone. Think about that in a minute. Bricks. I'm going to take a little diversion real quick. This isn't in here, but I got to tell you the difference. Why, why is bricks important? Because bricks came out of the mode, and they were all the same, weren't they? Whenever you put bricks in the mode, whenever you bribe bricks to put on your house, they are all kind of the same shape and the, everything, right? They are all one, but they are all smooth and put into that block form. Do you know that whenever God said, whenever you're going to make an altar to him, that any stone that you use when you make that altar, you will not lay what? Any tool against that. You will take the stones as they are, as they are formed by God, and you will put those together. You see, man wants to do everything by the, his own works, by the works of his own hands. So whenever it says that they were making it out of blocks, that means they were doing it from their own desire and their own hand, that they're making it from their mode, and it's in the face of God who says, you don't put a, a tool or anything against the stone. You, you place them there. Uh, as I have built them. So that's a little diversion just for us to, to have as an idea. But he said, let us make, let us, look at that. What did God say when he made man? Let us. Here in a minute we're going to say it. You see it's, it's the exact opposite, trying to throw themselves in the face of God. He said, let us make, make these bricks and let us make for ourselves, ourselves. Instead of for God, it's for us. We're going to make for ourselves a city and we're going to put a tower there whose top will reach up to the heavens. What are they trying to be like? God. They want to be like God, but they want to do it by their own works and their own hands. In this land of Shinar, let us make a name for ourselves. What's the thing that's holy about God? His name. What do we not take in vain? We're going to make our own name. We're flying in the face of God every way that we can. We're going to make our name for ourselves. And we're not going to let God scatter us abroad from the face of the earth. What does God always say? Go forth, multiply, be fruitful. And they said, no, we're going to stay here all together. We're going to be in defiance of you. And we're going to build our own tower that goes up into heaven. Verse 5, their wickedness and their plots and their plans had become so so renowned that the Lord himself came to visit what they were doing in verse 5. And he saw that the tower they, that they were building and that they were of one language and one speech. And this is what they were doing with their bricks and what they were trying to accomplish, what their purpose was. And you know what they were doing? God said, we have to go down. It's us versus them. Let us go down. So now, now righteousness has to come down against this unrighteousness. And we're going to confuse the language. And the Lord scattered them and they ceased from building their city. You see, they didn't get to complete what they wanted to do. In the face of God and in all the defiance of the way of God. And the place was called Babel because they were babbling. Because of the languages that was being confused. And he scattered them abroad. Remember, Shinar, Babel, Babylon, one, one speech, one mind, and remember that this was one world order. He was trying to have one ruler for a one world order. And God says, you will not have a one world order. I have scattered you. 
The word of God says in multiple places, I put the boundaries. I place the boundaries out around where every country is to be. I set them up. I take them down. They're all there. But if you have one world government and one world religion, then you can't worship God properly. You don't have freedom. And it can be controlled. And they can say you have no rights to do that. And they can put a squash. So God says by freedom I make countries. I make nations. So that my word can be taught in freedom. So that's what we are fighting against. Even in this passage of scripture. As the wings like a stork. Is being faithful to take wickedness back. To Babel. To Shinar as it said in Zechariah 5. Where wickedness began. On the days of Nimrod. And the building of that Tower of Babel. Back where it originated. Now back to our verse 11 there. See it's going. They're taking that basket of wickedness. Back to build a house for it in Shinar. And there will be a pointed time. When that basket will come open. It's going to be set on its base. And it will be there ready for it. On its, on its base. And opened up at the appointed time. The word for ready there. And the wet word for set are both in a stem in the Hebrew that's called the hafal stem. And the hafal stem is a causative stem. And that means God is going to cause this. It's going to be caused upon them. Uh, to, to, in other words, when it says that it's going to be set up, but in the end something is caused for it to be cast down. Because that's when it says ready and set, uh, it it means that it can actually be cast down upon itself again at the appointed time. God will come against that and destroy it. Right here is the base of operation in Shinar where the Assyrians, where the Edomites, where all of the land of the occult and all of the knowledge of that stuff takes place. Shinar in the Bible is the hub of all evil and wickedness. And all of this may happen sooner or later. Well, it will happen because it says it will. But when I say may, I think that it might be sooner rather than later. I hope not. I don't want to have to see any of this stuff. But the scripture says that it will happen. But whether it's sooner or later is something that we're going to have to say. But how do we look for it? How do we apply all of that for us today? We've now got the knowledge of what this passage says and what it means and how the Bible has interpreted the Bible to, to tell us the truth behind this matters and what is going on and what to look for. This is the pattern and the symbols. Nimrod is a pattern and a symbol of one world dictatorship. It's the pattern of the Antichrist that is to come who will be totally against God's rule and plan and he will be a mighty predator upon the people of those who do not agree to go along with his rule and his order. And he will fly in the face of God and his people. So the Antichrist is going to be just like his predecessor Nimrod. And he just might be an Assyrian. And you say an Assyrian. Why do you say that? Well later on in Zechariah. Lord willing we get there. Later on in Zechariah we get the only kind of description of who and what he is. But we get another one. In Micah chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me or follow along up here if you can see it. But in Micah chapter 5, there's a very famous verse here. But I want us to see what coincides with this verse about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because 
First of all, it says in verse 1, gather yourself into troops. Wow, it looks like a battle's getting ready to take place, don't it? Gather yourself into troops, O daughter of troops. For he, we're in the singular now, for he has laid siege against us. They will strike. So his people, they that are underneath of him, will strike and judge Israel with a rod to the cheek. But you, so where is our safety? Where's our Savior coming from? This is the famous verse. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah. Well, we just studied that last Wednesday too, didn't we? Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel. You remember whenever the wise men came to Herod, and they said, where is he that is born king or ruler of the Jews? For we have seen his star. And he called in all the, all the wise rabbis of, of Israel, and he said, where is your Savior supposed to be born? And they went to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And they said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Ephratah. And so this is talking about the Lord Jesus who's going to be in opposition of the one who's coming to strike them with that rod. But it says, here's why we know that it's not about his coming in his birth that this is all around. It, because in his birth, he came as the what of God? The Lamb of God. He came the first time in his first trip to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the earth. When he comes the second time, he comes as what? The Lion of the tribe of Judah to establish his rule and his ordinance. So whenever this says that in Bethlehem Ephratah will come the one to be my ruler of Israel. And we know that it's him because it says his goings forth are from old, from everlasting to everlasting. We know that that's the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who is from everlasting, the eternal God. But look what happens after all of these things because he has to be born and he has to be getting ready for his rulership since verse 2 says that this is the ruler of Israel. Look what happens after that. You know, folks never get to this verse. They always just go to verse 2 to talk about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. But look at what it says now in verse 3. Therefore he shall give them up. What? He's never given up on you and I, has he? No, he says, I make you a promise. I will be with you to the end of the age. So what's this talking about here? He's given up Israel for the time being, hasn't he? They turned their back on God, and in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed, as he predicted and said it would. Not one stone was left upon another, and he has given them up until what, it says? It says he has given them up until the what? Till the return, till the proper time. You see, just as the storkist knows its appointed time, and it's taking the evil to Shinar for the appointed time, that appointed time is also going to be met by the Lord Jesus Christ and his return against evil. He shall give them up until the proper time, until she who is in labor has given birth. Where in the Bible... Do you see another time where it's predicted that a woman is in travail with labor and gives birth to a child? Revelation chapter 12, remember? So, here we go. So it says, until that which is she who is in labor has given birth, then 
Shall the remnant return to the children of Israel, and he will flee to feed his flock, and they will abide? But now, verse 4, and he shall be great at that time to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be the peace. But, verse 5, catch this. But before that, as he has to come into all of that, it says, he shall be the peace when? So when will Christ come to bring peace? When the Assyrian, is that what your Bible says? When the Assyrian, and that's in the singular, by the way, shall come into our land. And he, see singular, and he treads our palaces. What's the Bible say going to happen in that time? You know, the temple's got to be rebuilt. And just as it was in the previous time that the abomination of desolation is set up in there and the one who proclaims himself to be God is going to go in there. It says when he, the Assyrian, comes in and he begins to tread in our palaces, we're going to raise up some shepherds and princes that they will waste the land of Assyria with the sword. Verse 6, here's our tie-in. It's the land of who? Nimrod. With, uh, with its interests. He, singular, the Lord, will deliver us from he who? The Assyrian. When he, singular, comes into our land and treads our borders. And then all the rest of the chapter is about a battle and what's going to go on and what takes place. There are those who think that this is referring to that last time. And should we be looking from Assyria somewhere to be the one who will step up? I don't know. But I see the tie-in that's being brought here by Nimrod and the land of Shinar. Now, before that time can happen, the Apostle Paul has wrote to us, the church today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And here's what he tells us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit when this time is going to come. Paul wrote to them and to you and I as those in Christ. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's brethren and our Lord. So he's talking to us, the church, those who are in Christ Jesus. When he comes, our gathering together to him. So this is the gathering together of the saints to be with him. He says, don't be so soon shaken in mind or troubled by the spirit or the word or the letter as if it was from us that that day has already come because it hasn't. Because you see, there were some there saying, you guys missed it. He's already came and you got left and, and it's already over. And they wrote him and said, what is this? Why are we left? And he said, don't be soon shaken by this. Christ hasn't come. That, the day of Christ. And the day of Christ is different from the dreadful day of the Lord. That's, an, that's another one. The day of Christ is us. And he says, let no one deceive you in verse 3. And that's what Jesus said over and over again in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Let no man deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless there's a falling away first. I hope that's not whatever things happening now. The man of sin will have to be revealed. The son of perdition. The one who like Nimrod, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God. You see how this has to happen again and how it's got to come, come around? He said, but all of this is going to happen when the man of sin is revealed and there's going to be a, a temple of God that he goes into showing himself that he is God. Back to 
Micah chapter 5. Paul says in verse 5, don't you remember while I was with you, I told you these things. So why are you so soon shaken up? And now, you know what is restraining him. What is restraining wickedness? Well, in our basket, it was what? Big lead weight that was restraining. He says, but that now he is being restrained that he might be revealed. Boy, that's why they shoved that back down in there and threw that lid back on it. It's not ready yet. He will be revealed and the restraint taken away. And only he who now restrains. So who's he who restrains? The Holy Spirit of God. We'll get to that one day in uh, Revelation chapter 4. You'll see that the Holy Spirit of God has been taken up and is sitting there with God. And now he has been taken out of the way so that the lawless one can come. And begin that destruction. The coming of the lawless one. Is according to the workings of Satan. And he's going to come with all power. Signs and lying wonders. And all unrighteousness and deception. Among those who perish. Why? Because they did not love the truth. So that they might be saved. I ask you this day. Do you love the truth of the word of God? Do you love the truth of the word of God? And you're following those ways as we began with. We got nothing to worry about, do we? But those who leave here, those who are outside of here, as we leave here and go into the world, we have to get them to learn to love the truth of the word of God so that they might be saved. But that day will come. The word of God promises us when that man of sin will be revealed in his own time at the appointed at the proper time. But until then... Evil and wickedness is being restrained. And that's why I said we don't even know what it's going to be like. If we think that we see evil and wickedness on TV and in other places, it ain't even started yet, folks. It's still being restrained by the Lord so that it doesn't just take over. Now, we'll get into all of the rest of these things that we talked about here. We're just, we're just skimming the tip of the iceberg so that we tied everything together to understand what we saw in Zechariah chapter 5. But now. That that one that was going to come. That the Lord it says. He will come together them together with him. Whenever it's time. That that woman who is with travail. Is going to give birth. That was Revelation 12. The woman there it says in Revelation 12. Being with child. Goes into labor and gives birth. And the dragon comes after that child. And then there was a beast revealed. In chapter 13. And he appears. And then another beast appears and comes with him. And then in chapter 14, the lamb. What it talked about in Micah 5. Whenever the lamb comes back as that lion of the tribe of Judah. He appears on Mount Zion with 144,000, the remnant. To preach to the end. To try to save those people. Then the woman who is riding on the beast, it says. For she has made all of the nations drunk with the wine of wrath. And she is going to be judged and they're going to cry out Babylon. You see, we're all the way back to Babylon again where this began in Genesis 10 at Shinar where his city was Babel. It says that Babel will be judged and the cry will be going out. It is fallen. It is fallen for the woman and the beast. She has made all the nations drunk with the wine of her wrath and fornication. And her judgment is finally being shown in Revelation 17. Look, here they come. The judgment of the great whore has come that sits on the many waters. Now look, so he carried me away in the spirit in the middle there. 
in the wilderness and I saw a woman who was in the basket. I saw the woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast. She's been opened up. Full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. And she was decked out in her gold and precious stones and pearls. But in her hand was a golden cup full of the abominations, the filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head was written a name that was written mystery. Mystery what? Babylon. It all goes back to the same spot that was tied in. She is the mother of of harlots and all of the abominations, the wickedness of the earth. And she was drunk with the blood of us, the saints of God, and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And I saw her and I wondered. And he said, why are you wondering about her? And in verse 13, all of those have one mind. What was going on with Nimrod? He wanted them all to be one mind, one hand. We're building one thing. And they all will give their strength and power to the beast. Just as all of those people did to Nimrod at that time. You see it's a pattern. God put that in there as a pattern for us to know and to understand and to follow. And this goes all the way through chapter 17 and 18 until she is brought down. Here is mystery, evil and wickedness clothed as a woman. Being restrained until the proper time when it's going to come. But it's. Known as the woman, why? Because all the way through the Bible, you see, the Lord is our bridegroom. God is who we're supposed to be for. But the other woman is always seducing us, trying to take us away from God, throwing out the things of the world and the powers and the riches and the glory and all of the things to seduce us away. And that's why she is called this and why it's referred to as the woman. The woman is a system. It's Satan's system of economics and, and just fame and the different things of the world system that leads us to him, to, the, to that woman that seduces us away from the God who loved us and saved us. And now I want to emphasize again, this is where it goes cool. So in cool, I mean cool as in, oh, wow, I never saw that coming. You know, now's the time that we've studied the word of God We've used the word of God to interpret the word of God. We get what's happening. But now what do we look for as we go forward in this world of things that might take place? Remember, we're talking about Shinar. We're talking about a woman that rides the beast. All of these things that's going to happen. Here's where we get cool. All right, like this. You know what that is? What's that a picture of? Tower of Babel, isn't it? But guess who's using that picture? Europe. The, you know, the, the, the one world European council that they've got going on, the, the thing. So this is a poster that was the unification of the European Union. It's the symbol of their power together as one. And their symbol is the Tower of Babel. Now I want you to notice a few things about this tower. Upper right part of the tower, what do you see? Crane. And you can see there's a crane with, with the, the, the little lift going down. You can see the supervisor and the operator standing on the wall over there of the crane. 
It's hard to see, but down at the bottom, that's sand going into the entrance, and there's a bulldozer there. So what are they trying to rebuild? They're trying to rebuild Babel. How? What's, what's, their, what's their slogan? Europe. Manny what? But what? Can it be in our face any more than that? And we don't even see it. We don't even recognize it until we start digging into the word of God and seeing what the symbolism is all the way through. It's that basket is being flown to Shinar back there. One day it's going to be to build what? A house for it at the appointed time. I can't say that this is it. That's why I'm saying this is cool. I want you to look at it. I want you to know about it and be aware. But I can't back up with the word of God that that's exactly what's happening with this because it's not there. But it points to something like this. Now, take a look at those people. No, keep, keep me with that one. Take a look at those people down there. Do you notice anything about them? They're kind of like a robot, but they're made out of what? Almost like Legos. What, what's a Lego? It's a block. It's a brick. It's a building block. So the people are the blocks that Nimrod has got underneath of him building his kingdom for him, and they don't even know it. They're the blocks that he's using to build the kingdom. They're the many voices, but one tongue, or many tongues, but one voice. They, they want to unite as one in strength. They're, he's using the people. This is the poster of the Council of Europe, and you can't make this stuff up, folks. Give me the next slide, Miss Paula. That one we concentrated on the bottom part. Now I want you to look at the top. Same picture. But I zoomed in on the bottom. Now I want to zoom in on the top. What do you see on top? Really? Are the stars right side up? Upside down, don't they? If you had to draw them as an animal, what does that look like, kind of? Huh? Devil, the goat. The goat, the, the goat that represents the devil in the occult. And there's 11 stars. There's way more of the countries in the council, but they chose 11. You know why 11 is a number uh, that the mysticism and occult, it's very important. 11 is the number for starting something. 22 is the number for being in the middle of it. And 33 is the number for when it's finished. So when they made this European Union, it was the start of something. And we're going to try to get as many of them to join in with us as possible so that we're many tongues but one voice. Now, and that, the upside down star, Nimrod's symbol was a star, it says, from those who write about it and have searched from history. I'm just taking their word for it. He tried to use the star as his symbol, but when a star is turned upside down, and the one that is using it, it says, is trying to conjure up evil and the powers of evil for their benefit in something now that's not my words that's out of the dictionary of mysticism 
Stars are used by the occultists to conjure up powerful demon spirits for their wicked intentions. They are, instead of calling on God and praying to God, they are using the power of evil to, to try to, to get away with their evil and their wickedness. Now, we said what that kind of looked like. Um, I, I'm going to give you the next slide. You see, that's what it is. In occult, in mysticism, that symbol is the symbol of the occult, and what it represents is the, the demon goat that is there. When it's, the point is upside down and the two points up, that's evil for their purposes, and the star is representing the one that they worship through that, and it's called Baphomet. And if you'll remember about Baphomet and anything that I've, I showed you a little bit ago, about six months ago, a picture of Baphomet, if you remembered that. But he's an ugly-looking thing, and I didn't want to put him back up here again. But, but that's who they worship and what it, what it uh, represents. And if you remember when I had the picture of Baphomet up there, he had his arms out. He sits there with his arms like this. Do you remember what he had on his arms? He had a tattoo on each arm of a word. And on one arm, it is dissolve. And on the other arm, it's coagulate. Well, life is in the blood, and we usually think of something that coagulates like a blood clot, and we try to dissolve that. In the blood is life. But whenever you look at it from the picture of evil, what does evil want to do to everything that is of God? He wants to dissolve, destroy it. And what does he want to do? Coagulate or rebuild or... And this term should not be offensive... It's a term that is being used across the world, not just in America, because I researched it. Every country is using this term. Satan wants to dissolve and coagulate, to destroy and tear down and build back better. Every country has that slogan now. So this is, the, again, the symbol of the occult of the hairy goat demon. Now... In case you think that, that we're just talking a little bit here, I want you to see the next slide. These are coins of the European Union. What's on the coin? The, the one on the left is Germany, a German coin. The one on the right is a coin of Greece. But on all of them, what do you see? A woman riding the beast. Do you know why? You know how Europe was founded. Does anyone know how Europe was founded? You see, they don't teach this stuff to us anymore, do they? Europe is called Europa. And we'll see, you can see that down at the bottom. Europa was a woman, a beautiful woman. Zeus was the mythic god. Zeus wanted her. Her family had, this is the mystic, this is in in their legend, not the, you can look it up, but they had her family had this beef farm. He presented himself as a white bull in the family's farm. She noticed it. She went up, and started rubbing on it, look on it. She got up on his back. He took off with her, went through the waters over to Greece, and made her his. And gave to her as a part of his throne and her lineage. 
Europe. And so Europe was first called Europa. And it was the woman who rides the beast. In the end, where is it going to come from? It's called the what? The revived what? Come on in, kids. Come on in. We're just doing some cool stuff here. So anyway, notice that on their coins even, where on our coin we put in God we trust, they put a woman riding the beast. I'm going to give you another coin. Go ahead and give me the next slide. There's the Constitution, Constitution of Europa, and it's a woman riding the beast, reading, looking at her constitution, and that piece of art is the woman riding the beast that's in front of the, of the Brussels European uh, building, the parliament building of the European parliament. And now, just in case we haven't been able to make all of the connections yet, give me the last slide, Miss Paula, for this section. Okay, the artist rendition, it's been from a long time on the left, is the Tower of Babel, right? The middle one was the poster that we looked at, right? The last one is the European Union Parliament building that's in Strasbourg. What do they all look like? Again, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I'm saying this is something I want you to be aware of. As I studied and as I discovered, I thought this is cool, but this is eerie. And I want to keep my eye on all of this. How cool is all of that? We want many tongues, but one voice. And you can't make that stuff up. It's been right in front of our face the whole time. Now, praise team, come on up. I leave you with this lesson. We've studied the word of God in connection to the pattern of judgment. We've looked deeper in the scripture. We've saw the information that the word of God reveals about it all. We saw some applications of it, but we also saw some cool things that we're going to keep our eyes on to make sure that evil doesn't come from there. And then Paul said... And finally, at the end of our worship, we normally, uh, of our worship and our study of the Word of God, we give an invitation, the opportunity for those who have chose during this time to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, to have the opportunity to do so. Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 1, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I hope that that gospel of Christ has become the power of God in your life if you've never named it to do so at this time. And you say, well, how does that look? What does that look like? Well, let me show you because a lot of people have been taught different things. What does it actually look like? Because that we are saved by his grace through faith and not that of ourselves. It's a gift of God and not of our works lest any man should boast. So what is that faith? That we are saved by with grace of God. Well, let's start in uh, Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, here's what we need to know. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, what does that look like in life? Well, the next verse demonstrated it then. God wanted us to know. So... By faith, 
So we just saw that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we must believe, that's one part of it, and that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So what does believing and diligently seeking look like? Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, he moved with fear, prepared the ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the rest of the world and he became the heir of righteousness which is by faith. So what is righteousness which is by faith? The same thing that verse 6 says, by faith you hear the word of God, he was warned of the things that wasn't yet seen. You hear the word of God. You move with fear. You diligently seek him. You, the things that you hear, you do. You don't disregard it like we saw in that blessing and cursing. The blessing was you hear and you follow. So faith is hearing. Faith is following what you hear and doing it, moving with fear. And you get it done. You prepare the ark. Why? To saving of the house. And that was righteousness which is by faith. Well what does that look like for you and I then? In this day and age. Jesus gave us the word. Go ahead Miss Paula. Yes. Mark 16. He that believes. There's the first part of faith. And is baptized. There is the act of doing what you hear. Shall be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Peter said it like this. After hearing what the Lord told him just a chapter before in, when he ascended into heaven. Next chapter, Peter told the people who now believe that Jesus Christ, that they crucified, was a son of God. He said, then repent. That means you've changed your way of thinking. And be baptized. How many of you? That's God's word, not mine. You read it. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That means by his authority, which was Mark 16. By his authority and his word. Why? What's it say next? Right. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said it again in 1 Peter chapter 3. Referring back to Hebrews 11 that we just read with Noah. He said, in Noah's time, there was few... That is eight souls who were saved by water. That like figure of water of baptism doth now what? God's words, not mine. Paul said it like this then. When those words were taught to him and he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ that he was not ashamed in. He said, I was told by Ananias, Paul, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and what? calling on the name of the Lord. Now is the time. Folks, we're in perilous time. Now is the time if you have not by faith heard, believed, and acted upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today is today. Why tarriest thou? Arise and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Come on up and make that known now this day. We've got the water ready the towels are ready. The other clothes are ready. You don't even have to leave here wet. Just all you got to do is make that decision and follow the word of God this day. Let's stand. Go ahead, guys.
for the world.